So the big question is this, how do we have the freedom we crave so badly when we're stuck in jobs we don't like, leaving us unfulfilled, exhausted and trapped? What if I told you that you're already qualified enough to start building a life on your terms, the life of your dreams? That is the question and this podcast will show you how by giving you the answers. My name is Jade Weller and welcome to Jade Start Secrets Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Jade and welcome to another episode of Jade Start Secrets Podcast. And on this episode, I've got Inspector Corey Allen with me here today. And he's here to talk about the epidemic, epidemic of homelessness that faces our country. And you've actually had a personal experience with this yourself, haven't you? Yes, it was um, not a pleasant time. And, you know, to be honest, I really didn't consider myself homeless. I thought I was just a young kid that made some stupid choices and ended up in a very difficult place. Yeah. It wasn't until you reflected on how lucky I was to have gotten out of that situation that you realise that uh, yeah. it can happen to anyone. Yeah. Um, and we're not just talking about running away from home for a day either. <laughs> no, no, but you know, that's how it starts sometimes, yeah. particularly young kids in the city. Now they come out and they find a group of kids that are making do sleeping rough mm. and um, home might not look so good there could be domestic violence or other issues or family trauma happening at home and they find almost like they, they find some acceptance in a small group in town and once they stay out a few nights it becomes something that's an option for them mm. that's that's the main problem we're facing now mm. my situation was sadly me making a bad choice about throwing away a career in the army and ending up embarrassed about it and mm. I, I had the sort of family that um, we had police come around quite a lot for domestic violence as I grew up you know it was a difficult family not uncommon in that day and not uncommon now but um, I ended up sleeping in a park not far from here just around the corner of Maybury mm. Park off the river I tried to sleep near the river at least I thought I had a nice place mm, with a view I mean yeah <laughs> I slept at the bottom of his fig tree and the army sleeping bag that I probably should have given back um, <laughs> but um Luckily, some friends let me sleep on their couch and I slept in a car under their place for a while until mm. I got back on my feet and rented a little one-bedroom unit. And I slept on the floor there with um, no furniture, one pot, until um, I was lucky enough to get into the police mm. and I never looked back. It's, it's interesting, like a lot of people, like you said, they don't really think that they're homeless and they don't really consider themselves homeless. Mm. Um, we actually um, had a friend of ours, we, we didn't know him at the time, we'd only just met him, but he was doing the same thing. He was couch surfing, didn't have mm. anywhere to stay. The very next choice he was going to make was to go and stay at a place in Surfer's Paradise, which was riddled with problems mm. with drugs and all sorts of things. And so we ended up taking him in and um, changed his whole life, changed his whole life course. And people, like when we did it, we thought that we were doing him the favor, but it actually ended up being the other way around. Like the lessons we learned ourselves from being able to offer that yeah. and, and grow ourselves was phenomenal. Um, so is. how did you get into the police force then? So you left the army. Well, I, I, to be honest, I didn't want to join the police. Mm. My, experience with the police growing up wasn't that positive like the police would come around to our house and they'd break up a fight between mum and dad and mm. then they'd leave us there and then I knew very well the fight would happen again the next week or none of the problems were really really solved but our approach to domestic violence back then was pretty basic police mm. separated the warring parties tried to get someone to go another way and 
you know, the police in the 80s weren't exactly the people you would run across the road to see in my neighbourhood. So mm. when my friends, some who had joined the police, said to me I should have a look at it, um, I was quite sceptical, but I was desperate. To be honest, I just wanted a job mm. and I wanted a roof over my head and something I could work to. The idea of serving still appealed to me because I felt like I hadn't completed my service in the military. So I applied to join and... You know, I'm a smart cookie, I got through all the testing and I, mm. I did very well, but unfortunately at the end of the day the last thing they did was measure you. So <laughs> I stood near the tape measure and the lady said, I'm sorry, you're a centimetre too short. <laughs> at 170, it was 172 was the limit. And I was crestful, I was heartbroken. Um, I went out of there with my tail between my legs and I thought, now I've been rejected for, one, for the sake of one centimetre. You know, my life was pretty much in the toilet. Um, so... I spoke to my friend and he said, I'm sure, you know, if we hung you upside down, we could stretch you a little bit, like it's one centimetre. And then I went to my doctor and he said, actually, you are taller if you get measured in the morning because your spine decompresses overnight and your body relaxes. So we didn't leave it to chance. We got a set of those inversion boots where you do hang upside down (laughs) to do crazy ab workouts. And... Uh, we hung off a clothesline at my mate's backyard. <laughs> he took great pleasure in swinging me around every now and then just to make it difficult. And about two weeks later, I lay down in the back of his car um, so that I didn't decompress on the way into police recruiting. And Was it, it first uh, thing in the morning? First thing, 8 o'clock, they were open. So I knew when they opened and I didn't want to risk it. So I lay down in his car and we drove straight in. I knocked on the door and the lady there was probably being a little bit patronised, coming in, little fella, and she said, we'll measure you, so you'll be right. And um, I may have had three thick pairs of socks on because they did say, <laughs> I did notice they took your boots off but not your socks. <laughs> so I measured, I measured 172 centimetres on that day. And Amazing. I may have shrunk on the way out, but <laughs> it was too late. By the time I got to the academy, um, the deal was done. And I do remember standing in the gymnasium and this really gruff PE instructor who's a big wrestler, big Scottish wrestler who ran all the PE there was calling the role and he looked at me and he looked around and he looked at me and said, how did you get here? Said, it's too late now. <laughs> the deal's done, contract signed. Deal's done. <laughs> That's amazing, what an awesome story. It is, it is a good story and it's, I know it sounds corny but I've had to stretch myself many times in the police and that was probably just the first. You just got to stretch yourself to, to try things that you're that can change your life and mm. whether it be physically or emotionally or, or your education that mm. seems to be a repeating pattern you know mm. every time I've taken on something I've had to go oh, that uh, looks like I can't do that but I'm gonna have to mm. stretch to fit and give it a go. Mm. So since you've joined the police force you've worked in this Brisbane city here and you've tried to um, change the way police do things about combating homelessness what are some of the the techniques you implemented that actually have been recognized worldwide well um i was lucky to be the officer in charge of the city for eight and a half years all up which is a long time in one of those types of jobs it's Mm -hmm. a really difficult high pace you know no rest for the wicked job and it's the city so Mm. the attention on brisbane really sets a tone for safety and policing in the state so if something bad happens in Brisbane City Mall it's like something bad happened in Queensland you know it's on it's on video it's probably going to be on the news even if it's only a small matter somewhere else it's a big matter in the city you've got Parliament House the centre of government Suncorp Stadium you know the the financial sector it's such a high pressure area Mm. and oddly when I came here um, it had a, a few problems with the perception of how police treated homeless people 
in particular, police have made a, a particularly difficult arrest of a 63-year-old man um, where they were eventually charged with assaulting him. Mm. Uh, it was the very first criminal prosecution of a police officer by a member of the public in Queensland, so mm. it was quite a significant um, statement. And uh, that set the tone, because people said, that, well, that must be how police treat homeless people and view them. Now, when I was lucky enough to get the job as officer in charge in the city, I found it to be quite dif different from that. As I, I saw these little examples of police showing their kindness and showing their compassion towards homeless people. You know, mm. police. There was a, a police woman who used to come to work and bring dog food for a fella in George Street who had a little cattle dog, and oh, she would drop beautiful. food off for him because she had a. Uh, kindness for animals and she could see that he couldn't get housing because he had an animal so yeah. she developed a relationship with him and would help look after his puppy mm. um, and years later she eventually together we got him housing where he couldn't get housing before and she still visits him now in his house and helps oh. him with his groceries and that sort of stuff um, I thought that's funny people doing that sort of thing don't sound like they want to assault and throw homeless people in the watch house or mm. have that sort of conflict and I realised that you know, the perception was poor and there were some poor examples of what to do, but there was a lot of goodwill and a lot of compassion that the police had for people who mm. they knew. Mm. Like they knew homeless people by their first name, they knew where they stayed, they knew um, you know, what sort of issues they had. Um, one of my sergeants suggested that we didn't know enough um, and we didn't have enough support from people to come and help us with a problem that we couldn't help. Mm. So for example, if there was a an issue with a homeless person in a disturbance or they were having a really bad day and when police were called and we often had nothing to offer them but a night in the watch house and, you know, mm. four hours for um, being intoxicated in public which may in the short term help someone get out of a difficult incident but it really doesn't help someone long term to get yeah. healthier or to get uh, housed and to be quite honest it's not a dignified way of treating someone who really is not well mm. and police knew that they could feel a frustration when they come and they think I really want to help this person but all I've got to offer them is a night in the watch house mm. and the byproduct of that was the time that you would spend taking a person who you should be helping to the watch house is time that you couldn't spend actually fighting crime or being outside a public before drama happened so it was impacting all our business um, I was very lucky I had a good boss and when I went to him and said I think we need to focus on vulnerable people, homeless and young people. This seems to be the, the underlying issue that's, that's causing most harm in the city. Mm. Uh, and he coached me on how to um, do it as well as call, on top of my core business and we called it a project. And yep. We did it after hours a lot of the time and we volunteered a lot of time. We made a lot of friends but um, the essence of it was we got police to speak to people earlier and sooner, get to know them more mm. and where they had issues that weren't a policing issue, that weren't an enforcement issue, we made partnerships and relationships with people who could help. Mm. So people like Micro Project Street to Home team were the first to connect with us and, and to trust us again because there wasn't a lot of trust between police and the services. Everyone thought we were the people that bashed homeless people and threw them in the watch house. Yeah. So the trust was very difficult to re-establish. But Micro Project Street to Home team in particular um, gave us a go. So instead of us taking someone to the watch house we could call the street to home team and we'd have a really powerful discussion where a police officer in uniform talks to someone and says listen I'm worried about you mm. um, we've been called there's been a disturbance or there's been something here um, 
I can take you to the watch house, but I don't want to do that. I'm, I know the right thing for you is to get help, and I've got these people right here who are prepared to help you. Mm. That, that to me was police using their position and their leverage mm. and their presence in a way that would really make a massive difference. Mm. So um, We'd also be changing that culture where police equals I'm in trouble instead of police oh, very equals much so. help, yeah. which I think yeah, a lot of youth tend to grow up believing police equal trouble because well, that's true. <laughs> they well, get into trouble. <laughs> the only time you talk to a police officer is when something bad happens, you associate exactly. that with something <clears throat> bad. So that, that, that um, infiltrated everything we did mm. in that we realised that if you spoke to people sooner and you got to know them mm. a bit better, you know, you didn't have yeah. to be best friends or anything, but if you got to know people better before problems happened, yeah. um, maybe less problems would happen. So our really underlying MO was to change the way we communicated with people. And I think mm. police learnt this yeah. by sitting next to homeless people and asking different types of questions about your health. Yeah. What, what, what sort of health problems do you have if we have to come and see you if we've been yeah. called or where do you keep your belongings you know because people's belongings when you're homeless can consist of a small bag or a swag or you know or a, a satchel trolley. or something or a shopping trolley mm. so if they were medically unwell if they were taken to the hospital or something happened to them if they lost those possessions it could have a huge ramification on what happens next for them without yeah. identification without access to um, their property um, ask questions about who's your next of kin if something happened to you, what yeah. what would we do and who would we call um, and what services do you like to talk to, you know, who do you have a relationship with, so if we're talking to you we can help mm. keep you connected with that service. Mm. Now when police sat with people, when they weren't in trouble, when there wasn't a problem and they had that conversation, that was really transformational. Mm. They had young coppers coming back to the station saying, oh do you know that 72 year old Italian lady that's in the mall? And everyone knew her, because she'd been there for two years. Well, the mm. stuff strapped to a walker, sleeping outside Hungry Jacks on one of those seats that's designed to do your back damage, you know. <laughs> like she's, she's been there for two years. Wow. And I said, oh, we, we never really spoke to her because she doesn't cause any trouble, but we sat down and we did this homeless support profile, we called it. Um, she was a teacher. Um, she oh, was wow. very well educated, she said, and her English is not very good. So she had a couple of bad relationships here and she, got the rough end of the financial stick and didn't do well out of them and that's how she ended up on the street. I said, we really need to help her. I said, well, what should we do? I said, oh, well, she can't fill out the form because her English is very poor. Um, so we just got Micah Projects to come and sit with her and help fill out the form and take all the calls and she was housed within two weeks. Wow. So the police came and said, um, we know that's not real police work, you know, you're not catching crooks and doing things. So I said, yeah, I need to... I mean, we need to talk about what real police work looks like. I said, because you've just extended someone's life, stopped her from being a victim of crime. Let's face it, they've improved the, the perception of that public space because there's not a 72-year-old homeless mm. lady sleeping outside Hungry Jacks now. And um, you think you've done the right thing? And they said, oh, absolutely, we've done the right thing. Wow. Um, so, and that was repeated many times with people come, getting to know people a little bit better feeling empowered to do something about it, us making relationships with people who trusted us to do something, and over a period of two years, you know, together with um, a number of agencies, police made referrals for 80 people who ended up being housed. Wow. Um, it was great. The byproduct, though, and the better part for me, not only is the helping of pe vulnerable people, was that I could see the change in the police. Yep. That they, you created having that experience, they had, they had that little epiphany and thought, oh, actually, made a difference doing something for a person who I thought was unhelpable, who yeah. um, I'd 
had frustration with before and people in the community trusted me and you could see that that really affected the way they did everything else. So when they went to take a complaint for a break and enter up at Paddington, instead of just taking the report, putting it on the system, sending it to the detectives and going to have another cup of coffee or going to the next job, um, they do things like, oh, I went to this break and enter and it was an elderly person and she didn't, she seemed really upset. I'm just going to drop back there today and check on her, make sure she's okay. And I might just get the crime prevention people to do a security order of her house so she feels a bit safer. Oh, and so just, just doing that little bit extra because they could, they could empathise with someone yep. and they could act on that empathy. Um, turn them into better people and better police, I think. Yeah. Or brought out the, the nature of policing anyway. People join the police for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, sometimes it just gets distorted when they're focused on just arresting people and yeah. and the and the high end, you know, confrontational side of our work. Yeah. I remember you came and you delivered this amazing presentation at Thank PwC. You. <laughs> you actually had everybody in tears. It was beautiful. But um, I remember gets you. Only me in tears. <laughs> Comes from that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when you were delivering the presentation, you were saying the outcome of rolling out this program over a couple of years was that you actually had homeless people gravitating towards the police station and they would sleep mm. out the front of the police station because that's where they felt safest yeah. as opposed to feeling like they're going to get arrested. It's a nice change. Yeah, that would be amazing. It's a lovely change. And the, uh, <clears throat> the other byproduct was that the health and well being of the station improved, which mm. I didn't anticipate, but mm. our sick leave went down. Oh, um, wow the people who generally first year constables do a training posting at a station like city so we'll have 20 first year constables um, and previously they couldn't wait to go somewhere else because the city's got a lot of night work it's very busy it's mm. not an easy place to work and on top of it all those other issues that were happening um, now instead of what them wanting to leave i had first years coming to me begging to stay and saying that's their number one station they really love it there wow. um, and the odd part was that we reduced crime, we reduced complaints against police, um, you know, we got a lot of recognition which was part of my plan to sort of promote yeah. the good news stories about police, um, and, but we didn't get any extra money, like it didn't, we didn't get a of big injection not. of funds, <laughs> we, didn't, uh, we didn't get an injection of people, yeah. um, we did it just by making relationships with the community and trying to do the right thing. And from the heart. Yeah, so was, how did you roll yeah. this out nationally and how did you end up getting recognition internationally? Well. I did a Churchill Fellowship where I went around the world and looked at other police activities with homeless and particularly young homeless. So that assisted quite a lot just in um, raising the profile of it. I have to, you had to write a report about that which was published. And um, I, I don't want to say I'm a shameless marketer but I just was tired of hearing all the bad news stories about police. Like the first two pages of Google when I started at City Police were all about the things we'd gotten wrong. Mm. Um, where we'd done far more things right. Even at that stage, police were doing far more things right. So I made it known that I was available for any media, that we would proactively put good stories out about things the police had done. I nominated us for any awards we could possibly do with the National Crime and Violence Prevention Awards and other things. Um, so we ended up winning the um, State Child Protection Award for a program we did where we got a culturally appropriate um, youth worker to go with police under the bridge and, and divert young people away from homelessness. We had a big Islander man come with us together and talk to people based on their connection with culture and community of origin and showing oh, wow. respect to kids. And um, that made a really good 
positive difference with a very difficult group. Mm. Um, we won the National Crime Violence Prevention Award twice for, for parts of the program, one that was about uh, maintaining and supporting affordable housing up in the Kelvin Grove Urban Village where people mm. were struggling as, mm. a, as a, another approach to um, supporting people in housing and one for what we call the vulnerable person strategy. So in order to make this last, instead of it just being or something we did, a little activity we did, I wrote it as a strategy for the city police. So just like wow. you have a crime strategy, just like you have a drug strategy, or just like you would have a traffic management strategy, um, any big city needs a vulnerable person strategy yeah. because they're like bug catchers. The city's like a big bug zapper. It's bright and it's shiny and people yeah. will be attracted to it and if you stay too long you'll get burned. Yeah. So we will always have people gravitating to the city who fall out of life. Mm. We'll always have young people coming to the city when something bad's happening at home or, or to experiment with being homelessness, with being homeless. So we will always have to have an approach to how police engage, divert, interact with vulnerable people in a way that shows respect and actually works. Yeah. So we proved that to be the case in the city that, you know, we didn't conduct any big crime operations. Mm. All we did was free up that time we were wasting on homeless people by locking them up mm. and reinvested it in proactive police work that was yeah. affected by this MO that maybe if I was in a suburb before the break-in and has happened and spoke to people and knocked on doors it might prevent break-in and and sure did because wow. we had the time to reinvest. Yeah. So So because of all of these awards you started to get a lot of recognition internationally, uh, sorry, nationally and you were able to, was this correct, you were able to then implement yeah. the programs in each different city and then... Well certainly other states asked about the program because they'd heard about it mm. and they asked about the things so you know tenants of this have been implemented right around the country in many different ways but mm. um, next week I'm up at um, Cairns with the Queensland Family and Child Commissioner helping with a homeless, homeless, youth homelessness roundtable just mm. to share the story with the services and police there so that, that we can get local champions in a local area. Mm. Like I think I felt um, connected to this particularly because I'm a Brisbane boy. Yeah. Like my family had a farm not far from here at Greenslopes in the yeah. 1850s. You know, I grew oh, up wow. here, I went to school here, I've slept on the streets here, I've walked a beat here. Yeah. I'm a Brisbane boy, so my heart's here. Yeah. Um, that makes a massive difference to how much you're willing to commit and yeah. how, how authentic you come across when you're trying to connect and make relationships. Yeah. So the recipe is to find someone like me in Cairns or like me in, another, in Gold Coast who's, yeah. who's who feels like that and there's plenty of people like that in those cities and those places that feel connected yeah. who can make the relationships and instead of police having to have confrontation with vulnerable people maybe we can divert them to better options. Mm. So do you see a lot of people actually changing their environment as a result of you helping them with their homelessness situation they're then able to take control back of their life change their environments and make something of themselves again? Oh sure you know there's um, people that have been housed um, just take this small piece of it. Just getting a good night's sleep yeah. makes a massive difference. You know, sleep deprivation is one of the obvious things that homeless people suffer from because their sleep is so broken and difficult and uncomfortable. Mm. Um, have you ever studied all night for something or stayed yeah. up all night and you think, I'm, I'm dysfunctional, you know, I can't make good choices. Yeah. Add a layer of alcohol, drugs, mental health, perhaps, you know, there's usually some family trauma or childhood trauma involved in some in pe person's uh, homelessness situation um, and you can't make a good choice. Mm. So, you know, you go down to places like Common Ground that Micro Project's run at West End, it's a supported accommodation um, 
project. It's like lovely apartments where people are supported and they're coached and, mm. and they're, our communities formed and you just see people having as best the best quality of life they can mm. you know that's beautiful yeah it's it's a it's a very nice thing to do in a community yeah. that can afford it yeah like. i'm a massive believer that you can absolutely change your environment change mm. your your molds change <clears throat> your situation you just need the right support the right help and you also need to believe that you can do it yourself as well very so. true one um, thing i will say though is is this idea from people who in situations who probably don't appreciate what it feels like that oh why don't people just get their act together or pull themselves up by yeah. the bootstraps and it's a lovely concept to think you can just go wake up one day and go you know i should get my shit together and you know get organized but that's not how it happens it happens because someone reaches out and helps you until you know you can see a future for yourself that's different from sleeping on the streets or yeah. or you know whatever trouble you found yourself in those incremental little steps over yeah. time they add up to big steps in the yeah, right direction absolutely well it took us in some cases 18 months of discussions and conversations with people that are long-term homeless just to get them to take a night off the street wow and even to the point where there's a lady i still talk to down elizabeth street um she has housing mm. and she pays for that but she sleeps in elizabeth street still is there some emotional connection to people? Like they feel like they can't let go of wh where they've yeah. felt a sense of community themselves? There is. Or? There's certainly, that is their social connection and mm. they sometimes like, you know, that's my spot and I feel safe here and people are around. So mm. it would be a big change to go from that to being in a unit by yourself. Yeah. So um, they, microprojects even do this thing where if they house someone, they won't just say, oh, here's your house, here's your furniture, go for your life, high five, you know, what a good job, take a selfie and get out of there. They, they take people back to their spot during the day so they don't feel disconnected from their social circle and then they mm. take them back to their unit uh, and help them learn how to cook and learn how to look after themselves and those sort of things and keep them socially engaged because many people's housing has fallen over because they're just given a key to a flat or they're yeah. in a room and and really some of the boarding houses and other things are not very nice so some people mm. choose to sleep elsewhere because the first step for them away from homelessness is not very nice either yeah wow this is really moving so how can people get involved if they want to try and make a change or donate time or donate money or even donate coaching or mentoring sure the um you know the most simple thing i can tell you is is that homeless someone suffering from homelessness um, lacks human contact often and you feel invisible I had a, mm. I've got a friend that's done a startup called bed down and his idea is to activate car parks at night time uh, and turn them into a place where someone can have a sleep mm. so um, he's going to do it with secure parking it's it's got legs at the moment but he said uh, it's about uh, he went and did an immersion where he stayed homelessness for, homeless for a night in Brisbane. He said, I just couldn't believe how invisible I felt. He said, all of a sudden, when I sat there and I looked homeless, people were just walking past me. Mm. He said, no, I was like I, was like I didn't exist. He said, it was shattering for my self-esteem. He said, no, I knew I was only there for one night. Um, that invisibility can lead people um, to feeling worse about themselves. So just knowing someone's name saying hello to them mm. if you walk past someone every day mm. i'm not saying you go up and give someone a big hug or you you know be overt about your compassion but 
Um, sometimes I'll just say, oh, listen, I walk past every day and I'm sorry, I don't know your name. I said, my name's Corey, how are you? Mm. And they might say, oh, g'day, you know, or they might not, but just someone asking their name and saying hello to them um, can be enough for someone to feel like, oh, someone sees me yeah. um, at the lowest level. Now, there's some great charities, you know, my favourite one for homelessness in Brisbane is the Micro Project Street to Home team, and they always take donations, but they also do a thing called the community meal, mm -hmm. where you, you and friends can go in and serve a community meal to people. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a nice way of having that personal contact with people and mm. feeling like you're, you're doing some service and helping, mm. that's for sure. That's amazing. We actually, um, we, I actually live on the Gold Coast and there's a lot of homelessness mm. down there as well. And on my commute between the Gold Coast to Brisbane, often see people either on the side of the road or at the mm. train station or, um, you know, in, in surface or whatever. And we have a few that are quite regulars around there and we've stopped and my husband and I have had a chat with them before and there's this one young chap, he actually became insta-famous so to speak uh -huh. because he would save up or any money he got throughout the year um, through donations and whatnot and then on Valentine's Day he would go buy roses and he would hand them out to the women who were walking Is past right? just to say, you know, you're appreciated. It's a nice have a little interaction, day. isn't it? It was beautiful and it came yeah. from a man who had nothing, like he mm. was giving everything, literally everything he had away on, on such a special day and so anyway somebody was walking past and they said to him you know how what are you doing here and so he told them the story and <laughs> they took a photo and it just went viral online and this young man had everybody coming down to get roses off him because they all wanted to give him money and um, he actually mentioned that he sells the big issue um, yeah, I've got a bit to do a, with them as well. Yeah. yeah, a good way for him to raise money to be able to buy food. Some interesting like people that. selling a big issue. I, I, uh, every year they do a um, police on the beat with a big issue where you go and sell with someone yeah. and police stand there. So this year I worked with a chap in a wheelchair up at, uh, up at um, Edward Street and he's in a wheelchair and just spending that time with him, I was there, we were there, only there for a couple of hours and any issues I would sell, obviously he'd get them yeah. proceeds from. Um, but he told me a story about how he had injured himself in an accident and became a paraplegic. And um, he got a payout and he said, oh, I was lucky I, I built a house. He said, and I live in that house. He said, and now I do the big issue. He said, but I've taken homeless people in myself. I'm thinking, here's a bloke in a wheelchair. Yeah. You know, he's not got a lot of money. Yeah. And he took a bloke in off the street himself because he knew what it was about and they're, they're quite nice people you see them out there having a go mm. selling that magazine mm. and the magazine's quite good too mm. yeah no I've actually bought a few copies yeah. myself <laughs> well thank you so much for this extremely insightful um, interview um, I know I've learnt a lot about how I can help and I'm sure everybody else has learnt the same so I really appreciate your no, time thank you for the chance to um, talk to you yeah and we look forward to following you and your journeys on social media yes lots of good things yet to come yes exactly well thank you so much everybody I hope you have an amazing day. Thanks. We'll talk soon.